Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, today I have Tyler, Ted Todd and Tyba Weiss on the program. Oh now, it may, may sound like a, a very full studio, but they're all sharing one seat. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's start with Ted Todd. You have Tim T- Tyler as the main character leading many of the short stories in this book, 50-something male. Yeah. What is this 50-something male looking for? A woman. A woman. <laughs> a new intimate relationship. He, uh, he's looking at females constantly and weighing them up when he does. Tim doesn't make a move unless, the mo- unless he sees something. And what's he looking for? Well, Tim and, and some of his friends in the book are looking for just the right person. Having come out of a long-term marriage uh, or partner situation, they're really looking for somebody new. <clears throat> the various characters are probably looking for different styles or looks or, or, or all of the above. Um, I think the one thing they all share in common is that they don't really know what they're looking for, <laughs> actually. Well, they only act if they get an, some type of interest back. Now, Tim acknowledged that he has a very strong sex drive, but he's also lonely. Why is it that time between 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. so bad? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure. I have asked him this myself, of course. <laughs> uh, but it just seems to be sort of, at the end of the day, it, it sort of means that the day is blown, it, the day is gone, you've not found the, uh, uh, that last big love of your life, and so the day is finished, and uh, now you're going to have to put it all off until tomorrow. So, I like a quote from the book. There is no aphrodisiac like loneliness. Unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't write that, of course. <laughs> well, what about friend sex? Now, this is, this is sort of something we hear a lot about. We had Kate and George um, in the book, but it didn't work for them. No, it, it never did. Uh, and uh, I knew George, uh, George wasn't his name, but I knew him very well and I knew her very well as well, so... Mm-hmm. I had that story from uh, two different sources, which was really interesting. But another, you know, friend sex I had heard about, but test driving I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> so explain what test driving is, please. Well, that's that's what she wanted to do. Uh, she <laughs> she uh, uh, this particular lady was uh, sort of had a boyfriend partner, but she wasn't too sure about him, so. She wanted to test drive George. <laughs> After all these years when they were, uh, I think for 20 years they'd known each other at the time and uh, there was always a bit of tension there. There was always a bit of something potentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah dear. But rejecting the offer. Oh, okay. Um, what was the happy side effect of Tim volunteering at a not-for-profit organisation? So, you know, you think that's that's from the heart, you know, he's doing something right, but what was the advantage? No, look, uh, I don't know that there was any, uh, particularly. Uh, I mean, uh, there was I, I think it was a genuine, 
genuine effort to be... Uh, yes, that too, but three different helpful. chapters on three different women. <laughs> well, it, it's, that, it's that particular scene, you see. <laughs> in that particular scene, there seemed to be a lot of opportunities for Tim. Yeah. One was with Julie. Now, what made Tim question this relationship? Sorry, which one? Julie? Julie. Mm. Oh, well, uh, you know, uh, Julie is, um, was half virtually half of Tim's age and uh, mm. uh, Tim was smart enough to know that this is never going to work but uh, it was fun while it was going he just, on he just could not not go ahead with it so to speak but uh, managed to bail out on time before he became a silly old man <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that that you know there was uh, looking through that relationship lust love angst break up back together apart honesty and then appreciation in retrospect. I thought, yeah, that's that was that was really well done. Yeah. And of course, Julie had a friend at the not-for-profit area called Lena, and uh, there was another chapter about her. Now, the sex there was really good, but she had one little foible. Yeah, she uh, she she decided that uh, she shouldn't be having this affair anyway, and um, she was dead against him, who was a bit of a capitalist. And uh, an ex-friend uh, of her girlfriend, and so she wasn't going to do it. And eventually, when she decided to do it, God knows why, um, she wasn't going to kiss him. Yeah, kissing, yes. Sex, yes. Kissing, no. Nope. nope. And then th- one of Lena's friends, Christine, met uh, Tim, and they had this incredible travelling adventure together where... This was an unusual chapter here because there was more talking about the car than there was talking about the sex. <laughs> well, yeah. That chapter was called Bogged. Yeah. So where else can Tim meet women? I, I don't know. Uh, as far as I was concerned when I was single, this all comes out of my own single years mm-hmm. between the age of 49 and, what, 57, 58. Um I'm not a pub goer, I'm not a drinker, uh, I don't go to clubs, so it was a matter of going to either uh, taste clubs, uh, places where you worked, or uh, Places of interest, like, yeah. you know, um, the internet often comes to mind, and there was a chapter on somebody you met in the internet. Well, look, the internet just got going uh, at the time, and uh, there was one odd little episode there that uh, that uh, was more or less a true story. <laughs> um, so I've, I've not sort of done much on the internet in this field. And as I said, the title of this book was called 50-something male. And that comes from the, uh, the very first line of the ad that yeah. went in. Yeah. And uh, I... And when you put a have to put in the potential, you know, what you're interested in, you know, whatever, I reckon this has got to be the, the weirdest concoction. The personal reference mentioned philosophers, scuba diving, Sophie Loren, kinky sex and GSOH. Now, I didn't know what GSOH oh. was. So oh, this, this was all the craze, GSOH, great sense of humour. <laughs> I thought everybody knew that one. You see. Oh, if you play around on the internet, you probably but the original, do. But the original ad was actually a, probably a lot worse than this one. I, this is the one that I softened up. 
<laughs> well, it led to Tanya, which led to another chapter in the book. <laughs> and, of course, there's other, as you mentioned, other people in the book, other friends of yours with pretty hot stories. Um Bill's R-rated story we won't mention on air, but no. it certainly was. Yeah. <laughs> David meeting a white witch at a tarot, a tarot reading course. Um, Jenna at a Kabbalah, Kabbalah tutorial. And yeah. uh, uh, Rodney meeting his one. And when she wasn't using her real, uh, her sh- shamanistic name, she was called Cheryl. <laughs> Shirley. That's Shirley. Right. Well, and I love the way that sexual urges were controlled by reading hard, dry philosophy, thinking a quantum theory, or of the economy. So, well, yeah, all, all that's enough to kill it off, isn't it? So, this is Ted Todd's book, 15 short stories about dating from a male perspective, with poetry and song title references through it, too. Now, you, now we're going to say goodbye to Ted Todd and hello to. Tibor Wheats. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Did it sound different enough? <laughs> this next book is called A Doubtful Inheritance and it's an autobiofiction with Jewish jokes and interludes. What is an autobiofiction? Well, you see, I started out, uh, I had to write for my uh, university course uh, once upon a time, 20 years ago, maybe a short story. And uh, 20 years down the track, I went back to do a PhD, and I had to write a creative piece. So I started writing a sort of an auto-bio-memory, but as I wrote it, it got worse and worse. That is to say, sadder and sadder and darker and darker. And at some point, I thought, no, nah, this is... I don't, I don't want to sound, sound it this dark, so I'm just going to have to fictionalise it, and the story sort of virtually took off from there. Well, so that, it starts so, when you are three months old, when your father was taken yeah. away. So where were you living? In Budapest, uh, in the middle of Budapest, in the so-called ghetto area. So what were you told about your father? Well, I, my father was a genius. He was uh, tall. He was the most wonderful man ever born. Um, and I'm not sure what else, but it was marvellous, you see, he, had he come back. Had he come back. And, of course, we're talking about World War Two here. Yeah. Right. So, well, I like the way that you just sort of fictionalised what might have happened with him. And it was a fascinating story. Um, he helped and was helped by a wealthy Austrian family. And he died a very wealthy man and willed some of his money to finding you. So why couldn't he find you in Hungary? Well, there was a number of uh, things that happened. For example, uh, uh, by the time he looked for us, my mother and I, in Hungary, we've left Hungary. For Australia? Yeah. And, and under a different name because my mother got remarried, so there was no trace of Weiss, the family name Weiss, left there. So... It was when you were in California when you were 38, you decided that you really should do something about finding your father and you go back to Budapest and yep. all of the memories that come up and all the stories that we get were just fascinating. And so especially about how you got out of Austria, sne- across the border with one of 
you were with your mother and uh, stepfather and uh, stepbrother, mm. one of the 250 Hungarians that left this way, which is just incredible. And how, well, you, the only relative you had was Uncle Joseph. Look, we, we're going to run out of time because it is just such an incredible history. But the whole thing about it comes down to the coincidence Coincidence are plenty. Well, yeah, you know, life is full of uh, serendipity and coincidence and uh, bad luck and good luck, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. There's um, connections between the Californian families and the Austrian families that Mm. all sort of give this, this whole book real relevance. And the last word about what makes an inheritance, because that's what it is, a doubtful inheritance, is going to be from you from page 178 whether the inheritance was a Swiss bank account or a silver ornament. Yeah. Lots of things happened to everyone between childhood and now. Hilarious, sad, misunderstood ideas, stupid and clever blunders, bad decisions followed by good and bad outcomes. The only thing you get to keep, I knew, whether you wanted it or not, was what's inside you. Thoughts and feelings attached to the memories of your own stories. That is what makes one who one is and how one is now. Your own self is your inheritance. Your own self is your inheritance. (laughs) There's a character in it, Antonio Garibaldi, who's a detective, and we follow him and and find out just so what's, what's happening. And he said in the letter, It's not just about inheriting money, but about inheriting lives, the lives and stories of people you never knew and the amazing synchronicity that the universe brings to lives. He also said, after reading your book, Mm -hmm. I'm not too sure about your literary quality, but your writing gets to me. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly what happened with me. So, Dr. Ted Todd or Mm T-Ball Weiss, who are all in the same, and if you read the book, you'd find out that um, Ted has another business name too. But just a very good lot of books to read. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I've got a perfect accompaniment to all of that talk about sex. We're going to talk about politics. And Fiona Patton's book, Sex, Drugs and the Electoral Roll, provides us with the perfect opportunity to straighten out whatever's going on in politics in Australia today. So, Fiona, welcome to 3CR. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, this book is topped and tailed by an evaluation of the current state of politics, Mm. firstly by the failures of the system, and then secondly, what we should be addressing. For example, the major parties are so locked into machine politics that they just can't come at the paradigm shifts anymore. So what's dysfunctional about our political system? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think... In brief. uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, I think we could talk for days, but I think, you know, it has become become so apparent in the last week that politics politicians are far more concerned about politics than they are about policy. So it's constantly um, their own infighting within a party, their one-upmanship, their, their, their sort of clash of titans, which doesn't actually lead to better policy and better infrastructure, better health systems. Well, they're not addressing the issues. They've simply lost sight of them. Well, that's right. I mean, how do they have time to address issues when all they're doing is addressing each other? And sharpening their knives. Yes. Now, the book is part memoir and part Mm. manifesto, so to speak. (laughs) I mean, you began your sort of political life as advocacy for sex workers and the adult goods and services. Mm. Um, But 
the question really remains, given the changes that have occurred in society, and uh, you detail your own sexual activity, but how relevant is the question of sex in today's age and in today's politics? I, I still... Well, you know, Barnaby Joyce aside, <laughs> <laughs> I think sex is very important, and I think we, we still don't talk about it in a healthy way. And I think we, we must talk about it. And I think Ted's books, obviously, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that, uh, has, has explored that because sexuality is a very important part of our lives. We don't talk about it. We, uh, we're still frightened of it. But you talk about how uh, politicians have uh, put policy forward, mm. I mean, in the adult services industry, yeah. the video industry, right. etc. And yet... They're the ones consuming the videos. Well, let's say we all <laughs> no names, we please. we always knew that the sex industry in Canberra was always busier when Parliament was sitting. <laughs> not, not to say that that was the politicians, however, uh, it was always busy. And I think you know what we try, what I what completely frustrated me throughout that time and still frustrates me now is the hypocrisy, you know, and that is what you know whether it's the you know, I, I mean, whether it's the Catholic Church, you know, calling on bans on certain types of um, uh, literature or certain types of media, yet abusing, covering up and not facing their own crimes. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> but can politicians therefore effectively put policy together on those issues, do you think? Because... Protection has to be there, but we've had things like safe school and, and yes. all of these other issues, and they don't seem to be able to actually come up with a consistent approach. No, that's right, and I think this is really problematic. And, you know, one of the things that I've been calling for is um, is compulsory, honest sex education and relationship education in schools. You know, our we're worried about our children online, but if we're not giving them good, honest Information. Well, of course they're going to look for it. And I can tell you, I don't think the internet is a very good place to be getting your education from. Well, it's, it's, it's simply bypassed. The internet, in many ways, That's has right. bypassed the yeah. politicians. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the... Well, not a lot of the book, but there's a section in there about mm. the video industry. Yes. Well, that's now redundant. I know. It's, it's probably one of my... One of my disappointments in life that I tried to legalise X-rated films... Um, before they became obsolete, and I failed. <laughs> but, you see, all of this can be found on the internet. That's so. right. Yet, yet a um, a shop selling Debbie Does Dallas in Melbourne uh, faces a jail term. And this is the curious, <laughs> and and you've got examples in there of yeah. politicians who've basically wanted to make a name for themselves right. on uh, a conservative platform, and we're protecting society. But they're mm. doing more harm than good. Of course they do. And we know that to, to keep people safe, and this is, you know, and I, I don't want to hark back to the church, but I will for a minute, it's about transparency and it's about openness. And if we want to keep our children safe, then we need to give them the words, we need to give them the language to keep them safe. So it is about transparency. And we do need to talk about sex. And, look, none of us would be here without it. <laughs> <laughs> But this gets us on to the, the uh, reason for the sex party, yeah. so to speak. It's not just about sex per se. No. But in that political arena, you've got these minority parties on a very conservative bent. That's right. And you're, the, that brings about then the reason 
uh, for the sex party. Would you like to explain? Yes. Well, I, you know, I think we... It, frustration is probably um, the, you know... Well, it's a reason for many things. I'm not sure it's a reason to start a political party, but it probably... It was frustration and it was disappointment that, you know, that we that the community was going in one direction and whether that was on marriage equality or censorship or gender equity or sex education, all of those things, and yet politicians were still going in the other direction and being led by, you know, Christians Australia, uh, Family First, Rise Up Australia, the DLP. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's like five religious political parties. But they're minority parties who have the balance of power. Yes. So in many ways there's a need for That's a right. minority parties yeah. on the other end of the spectrum yeah. to create more of a balance and more of a representation of the electorate. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, the people that poo-poo small parties um, forget that 30% of Australians are now voting for the non-major parties. Well, That's outside the Greens, Labor and, and Liberals. But this gets then to that major issue of mm. where the electorate are in their thinking yes. and where the politicians That's are. Right. And the greatest case in point was Abbott on the marriage equality and, pardon me, railing against marriage equality and yet something like 76% yeah. of his own electorate. I know, I know, it, absolutely. And then, I mean, I think last week he also showed how out of touch he was when he said... Um, you know, after all of the leadership spills and re-spills and spills again, he said, right, now we've just got to win the election. I think, no, now you've got to run the country yeah. and, and deliver to, to the country. But still did not even cons consider the fact that that was the reason he was in Parliament. Yeah. You know, it's appalling. I think this is why um, actually parties like myself, like Reason, uh, can, can play a valuable role. We're able to nudge the nudge the major parties, and I think that's probably been one of the things we've done successfully in the last few years. Now, the style uh, <laughs> and approach you've taken in this book, part humour, part irreverence, because, I mean, yeah. the humour factor, you're the first sex worker to be elected uh, into the corridors of power, uh, and yet we know that within those corridors of power, there are an ample number who've used the That's services right. of brothels. Yes, there's a, yeah, there was, there was when I, I, met, I actually said that in my maiden speech yes. and um, that there was thousands of clients who had come before me and you could see everyone kind of not knowing where to look, you know, and there was sort of people turning, looking at their feet and looking left and right. But the whole notion of sex has been used to shame people. That, and, exactly. I mean, slut shaming has been going on Absolutely. recently. And, Absolutely. And the recent sort of yeah. declaration by uh, Julia... Um, Julia Banks and Emma yeah, Hassar yeah. um, yeah. saying that it was around their sexuality, and I think that's right. And people have said, why did you put sex in the book? And I say, why not? You know, like, why not talk about my sex life? But it takes away, then, the potential for it to be used as, yeah, as, as a, a means of control or that, power domination or anything like that. Absolutely, and I think... Um, if more of us could be more open around our sex lives, we would actually have a much happier and safer community. Then you've also got this notion of irreverence <laughs> that takes place here. I mean, there, there is one moment uh, where large vegetables are used as sex objects, but all of a sudden you, you, you turn it on its head and, and give us another perspective of, of looking at things. I mean, at the crowning of a baby's head. So <laughs> our perspective, the way yeah. we look at sex, yeah. and such like is, is challenging. I know. I, I'm, I think poor, um, poor Frank Morrissey, who was the 
WA censor that I had that conversation <laughs> with. I'm, I'm not sure we can look at a zucchini in the same way again. <laughs> but, but again, it shows how we are positioned to think about sex mm. and then we don't look at the reality of it. Well, that's, that's right. You know, I mean, sex, as I said, we're all, you know, we wouldn't be here without yeah. it. It is it's a fundamental part of our lives, you know, from a completely... Pro, uh, basic species level, we're here to procreate. You know, mm. we're here to continue the species. So sex is, it's, it, sex is the reason we breathe and eat. Yet we try and cover up. We still have this sort of very Victorian approach that it should be not spoken about, and and I don't think that that's healthy. And I well, the the the, the community is starting to talk about it more openly, mm. but the politicians aren't. Again, but this isn't just about sex. I mean, no, you've no. got a whole range of issues: prostitution, stem cell research, and abortion. All draw major support in the polls, and yet there is no law reform. That's right. So you're getting a range of issues coming out yeah. here. And I think, look, I think voluntary to dying was a really good yeah. example of that. Where you know, and I think it was very disappointing what we saw in the federal parliament just a few weeks ago where they refused to allow the Northern Territory and the ACT to have those debates on behalf of their communities. But we don't seem to be able to have those debates. I mean, marriage equality debate was Mm. a debacle when you think of a postal vote, an unnecessary, uh, costly postal vote. Absolutely. When the community feeling was clear, if they'd asked. It was very apparent. It was very apparent. And they had asked and we had all um, told them what we thought. And the other issues, I mean, we've already alluded to um, the Catholic Church and Mm. that's an ongoing one. The interesting thing I didn't realise about... The yeah. public, the hypocrites publication. Mm. Would you care to tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, so in um in the year two thousand, we published a booklet called Hypocrites, where <laughs> which um, listed, and this was we listed every single conviction of a um, of an employee of a of a religious organisation, and we listed hundreds, and we delivered that to every single state, federal, local politician, and every single church in Australia. And we and we called for a royal commission <laughs> into child sexual abuse in religious yeah. institutions. The issue is still extant today. I know. And look, you know, can you believe that the church is still saying that their canon law of confession should override the protection of children? I mean, it's just extraordinary. But, They've learnt nothing. But Francis has been, Pope Francis, mm. just recently been challenged because he hasn't addressed That's the right. issue. That's right. That's right. And, you know, we've still got Bishop, you know, I'm still arguing around um, Bishop Hollingworth, who was found to have covered up an awful lot and yet is still um, employed by the Anglican Church, still has a working with children certificate that, frankly, if you and I had done what Hollingworth had done, we would not be approved. What then is the political future for Australia. I mean, the population Mm. is moving toward a more liberated social agenda. Mm. But when we look at... (laughs) Project, you've got to... Pardon me. (laughs) Energy has been stalled. I mean, the whole issue of women in politics has stalled. Yeah, (laughs) I know. So many other issues. The Liberal Party's proud (laughs) that their cabinet has... Has, has increased from six to seven females in their cabinet. Mm. I mean, frankly, I think that's appalling <laughs> that it's seven. And I don't, and they have not got a single woman in their leadership team now that Julie <laughs> has been 
uh, has got Julie Bishop has gone. Yes, you know, and the community wants something different, and I think that's why the more that this happens, but, the better it is for for parties but, like Reason. But Julie Bishop, the, oh, the I know. numbers, and that then speaks to the agenda of the Liberal Party or the mm. attitude that here's somebody who is leading the polls beyond Morrison, <laughs> beyond that. I can't comprehend it. Yeah, I know. And you look at, you know, you look at the pre-selections for, I think, all of the Liberal, retiring Liberals in Victorian state, you look at who was pre-selected for those seats, all safe seats, all men. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just well, just round up, mm. the Reason Party, it's no longer the Sex Party, Reason. Yeah, we still like sex, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there is a reason for sex. That's a very good one, but, yeah. But, but the renaming? Yeah. So what we, you know, it was more than a renaming. And in fact, we actually deregistered the Sex Party and started this new part, group called Reason. And I think, you know, following on from people like Macron in France, where it's pulling together the people from the centre, and the people, you know, and there's, you know, we see the Liberal Party moving more and more to the right. Um, Labor is not far behind them. And the, that centrist politics of what, where our community sits is what is missing. And we hoped that Reason would bring on that movement. And also it would mean other small parties like Arts Party, Cyclists, all of those, Secular Party. May, we may be all worked, working together in that centre. Fiona, we're going to have to conclude the interview. Mm-hmm. I've been talking to Fiona Patton, the book Sex, Drugs and the Electoral Role, and it was released by Alan and Unwin. Right. Yesterday. Yesterday. Oh, well done. I was speaking with Ted Todd about his book 50-something Male, 15 short stories about dating from a male perspective and also his autobiofiction, A Doubtful Inheritance. Thank you, Ted. Thank See you, you next David. week. Thank you Thank very you. much, Fiona. Go, reason, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <Jen. laughs>